Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, I welcome your questions, your comments, and your suggestions at carlatreadstheclassics at gmail.com. Now, a couple things before I get started today. Uh, Number one, I'd like to ask you to please rate this podcast, whether you find it a one, a five, or anywhere in between. Uh, Please do leave a rating. And also, as you can tell, I have no commercial sponsors on my program so that I can continue to try to improve the tech components and the overall quality of the broadcast. I appeal to you directly for donations through listener support, or if you prefer to use Cash App, you'll find that information in the episode description. In the event you have some equipment that you'd like to donate, I will have a P.O. box next week, and I'll share that info in the episode description at that time. I've had this podcast for almost a year and a half, and I would really like to continue to make it better. And I thank you so much for your support here at Carla Reads the Classics. And now, what you came here for, I give you Daniel Keyes, Flowers for Algernon, and this is Progress Report... Progress Report 17, October 3, Downhill, Thoughts of Suicide to Stop It All, Now While I Am Still in Control and Aware of the World Around Me, But Then I Think of Charlie Waiting at the Window, His Life is Not Mine to Throw Away, I've Just Borrowed It for a While and Now I'm Being Asked to Return It, I Must Remember I'm the Only Person This Ever Happened To. As long as I can, I've got to keep putting down my thoughts and feelings. These progress reports are Charlie Gordon's contribution to mankind. I've I've become edgy and irritable, having fights with people in the building about playing the hi-fi set late at night. I've been doing that a lot since I've stopped playing the piano. It isn't right to keep it going all hours, but I do, but I do it to keep myself awake. I know I should sleep, but I begrudge every second of waking time. It's not just because of the nightmares, it's because I'm afraid of letting go. I tell myself there will be time enough to sleep later when it's dark. Mr. Werner in the apartment below never used to complain, but now he's always banging on the pipes or on the ceiling of his apartment so that I hear the pounding beneath my feet. I ignored it at first, but last night he came up in his bathrobe. We quarreled, and I slammed the door in his face. An hour later, he was back with a policeman who told me I couldn't play records that loudly at 4 a.m. The smile on Werner's face so enraged me that it was all I could do to keep from hitting him. When they left, I smashed all the records and the machine. I've been kidding myself anyway. I don't really like that kind of music anymore. October 4. Strangest therapy session I ever had. Strauss was upset. It was something he hadn't expected either. What happened? I don't dare call it a memory. It was a psychic experience or a hallucination. I won't attempt to explain or interpret it, but will only record what happened. I was touchy when I first came into his office, but he pretended not to notice. I lay down on the couch immediately, and as usual, he took his seat to one side and a little behind me, just out of sight and waited for me to begin the ritual of pouring all of the accumulated poisons of the mind. I peered back at him over my head. He looked tired and flabby, and somehow he reminded me of Matt sitting on his barber's chair waiting for customers. I told Strauss of the occasion, and he nodded and waited. Are you waiting for customers? I asked. 
You ought to have this couch designed like a barber's chair. Then when you want free association, you could stretch your patient out the way the barber does to lather up his customer. And when the 50 minutes are up, you could tilt the chair forward again and hand him a mirror so that he could see what he looks like on the outside after you've shaved his ego. He said nothing, and while I felt ashamed at the way I was abusing him, I couldn't stop. Then your patient could come in at each session and say, a little off the top of my anxiety, please, or don't trim the superego too close if you don't mind, or he might even come in for an egg shampoo, I mean an ego shampoo. Aha, did you notice that slip of the tongue, doctor? Make a note of it. I said I wanted an egg shampoo instead of an ego shampoo. Egg, ego, close, aren't they? Does that mean I want to be washed clean of my sins, reborn? Is it baptism, symbolism, or are we shaving too close? Does an idiot have an id? I waited for a reaction, but he just shifted in his chair. Are you awake? I asked. I'm listening, Charlie. Only listening? Don't you ever get angry? Why do you want me to be angry with you? I sighed. Stole it, Strauss. Unmovable. I'll tell you something. I'm sick and tired of coming here. What's the sense of therapy anymore? You know as well as I do what's going to happen. But I think you don't want to stop, he said. You want to go on with it, don't you? It's stupid, a waste of my time and yours. I lay there in the dim light and stared at the pattern of squares on the ceiling, noise-absorbing tiles with thousands of tiny holes soaking up every word, sound buried alive in little holes in the ceiling. I found myself becoming lightheaded. My mind was a blank, and that was unusual because during therapy sessions, I always had a great deal of material to bring out and talk about. Dreams, memories, associations, problems. But now I felt isolated and empty. Only stolid Strauss breathing behind me. I feel strange, I said. You want to talk about it? Oh, how brilliant, how subtle he was. What the hell was I doing there anyway, having my associations absorbed by little holes in the ceiling and big holes in my therapist? I don't know if I want to talk about it, I said. I feel unusually hostile towards you today. And then I told them what I had been thinking. Without seeing him, I could tell he was nodding to himself. It's hard to explain, I said, a feeling I've had once or twice before, just before I fainted, a lightheadedness, everything intense, but my body feels cold and numb. Go on, his voice had an edge of excitement. What else? I can't feel my body anymore. I'm numb. I have the feeling that Charlie is close by. My eyes are open. I'm sure of that. Are they? Yes, wide open. And yet I see a blue-white glow from the from the walls and the ceiling gathering into a shimmering ball. Now it's now it's suspended in midair, light forcing itself into my eyes and my brain. Everything in the room is aglow. I have the feeling of floating, or rather expanding up and out. And yet, without looking down, I know my body is still here on the couch. Is this a hallucination? Charlie, are you all right? Or the things described by the mystics? I hear his voice, but I don't want to answer him. It annoys me that he is there. I've got to ignore him, be passive, and let this, whatever it is, fill me with, with the light and absorb me into itself. What do you see, Charlie? What's the matter? Upward, moving like a leaf and an upcurrent of warm air, spreading the atoms of my body hurling away from each other. I grow lighter, less dense, and larger larger, exploding outward into the sun. I am expanding. I am an expanding universe swimming upward in a silent sea. 
small at first, encompassing with my body, the room, the building, the city, the country, until I know that if I look down, I will see my shadow blotting out the earth, light and unfeeling, drifting and expanding through time and space. And then, as I know I, I am about to pierce the crust of existence, like a flying fish leaping out of the sea, I feel the pull from below. It annoys me. I want to shake it off. On the verge of blending with the universe, I hear the whispers around the ridges of consciousness. And that ever so slight tug holds me to the finite and mortal world below. Slowly, as waves recede, my expanding spirit shrinks back into earthly dimensions, not voluntarily because I would prefer to lose myself, but I am pulled from back back to myself, into myself, so that for just one moment I am on the couch again, fitting the fingers of my awareness into the glove of my flesh. And I know I can move this finger or wink that eye I want if I want to, but I don't want to move. I will not move. I wait and leave myself open, passive to whatever this experience means. Charlie doesn't want me to pierce the upper curtain of the mind. Charlie doesn't want to know what lies beyond. Does he fear seeing God? Or seeing nothing. As I lie here waiting, the moment passes during which I am myself in myself, and again I lose all feeling of body or sensation. Charlie is drawing me down into myself. I stare inward in the center of my unseeing eye at that red spot that transforms itself into a multi-petaled flower, the shimmering, swirling, luminescent flower that lies deep in the core of my unconscious. I am shrinking, not in the sense of the atoms of my body becoming closer and more dense, but a fusion as the atoms of my self-image merge into microcosm. There will be great heat and unbearable light, the hell within hell, but I, I, I don't look at the light, only at the flower, unmultiplying, undividing itself back from the many toward one. And for an instant, the shimmering flower turns into a gold disc twirling on a string, and then to the bubble of swirling rainbows. And finally, I am back in the cave where everything is quiet and dark, and I swim the wet labyrinth, searching for one to receive me, embrace me, absorb me into itself. Then that I may begin. In the core, I see the light again, an opening in the darkest of caves, now tiny and far away, through the wrong end of a telescope, brilliant, blinding, shimmering, and once again the multi-petaled flower, swirling lotus, that floats near the entrance of the unconscious. At the entrance of that cave, I will find the answer, if I dare go back and plunge through it into the grotto of light beyond. Not yet. I am afraid, not of life or death or nothingness, but of wasting as if I had never been. And as I start through the opening, I feel the pressure around me propelling me in violent wave-like motions toward the mouth of the cave. It's too small. I can't get through. And suddenly I am hurled against the walls again and again and forged through the opening where the light threatens to burst my eyes. Again, I know I will pierce the crust into that holy, into that holy light more than I can bear. Pain as I have never known and coldness and nausea and the great buzzing over my head, flapping like a thousand wings. I open my eyes blinded by the intense light and flail the air and tremble and scream. I came out of it at the insistence of a hand shaking me roughly. Dr. Strauss. Thank God, he said, when I looked into his eyes. You had me worried. I shook my head. I'm all right. I think maybe that'll, that'll do it for today. I got up and swayed as I regained my perspective. 
the room seemed small. Not only for today, I said. I don't think I should have any more sessions. I don't want to see you anymore. He was upset, but he didn't try to talk me out of it. I took my hat and coat and left. And now, Plato's words mock me in the shadows on the ledge behind the flames. The men of the cave would say of him that up he went and down he came without his eyes. October 5. Sitting down to type these reports is difficult, and I can't think with the tape recorder going. I keep putting it off for most of the day, but I know how important it is, and and I've got to do it. I've told myself I, I won't have dinner until I sit down and write something, anything. Professor Niemer sent for me again this morning. He wanted me at the lab for some tests, the kind I used to do. At first, I figured it was only right because they're still paying me, and it's important to have the record complete. But when I got to... Beckman and went through it all with Bert, I knew it would be too much for me. First, it was the paper and pencil maze. I remembered how it was before when I learned to do it quickly and when I raced against Algernon. I could tell it was taking me a lot longer to solve the maze now. Bert had had his hand out to take the paper, but I tore it up instead and threw the pieces into the wastebasket. No more! I'm through running the maze! I'm in a blind alley now and that's all there is to it! He was afraid I'd run out, and so he calmed me down. That's all right, Charlie. Just just take it easy. What do you mean, take it easy? You don't know what it's like. No, but, but I can imagine. We all feel pretty sick about it. Keep your sympathy. Just leave me alone. He was embarrassed, and then I realized it wasn't his fault, and I was being lousy toward him. Sorry I, I blew up, I said. How's everything going? Got your thesis finished yet? He nodded. Having it retyped now, I'll get my PhD in February. Good boy! I slapped him on the shoulder to show him I wasn't angry with him. Keep plugging. Nothing like an education. Look, forget what I said before. I'll do anything else you want. Just no more mazes, that's all. Well, Niemer wants a Rorschach check. To see what's happening down deep? What does he expect to find? I must have looked upset because he started to back off. We we don't have to. You're here voluntarily. If you don't want to, that's all right. Go ahead, deal out the cards, but don't tell me what you find out. He didn't have to. I knew enough about the Rorschach to know that it, it wasn't what you saw in the cards that counted, but how you reacted to them as holes or parts with movements or just motionless figures with special attention to the color spots or ignoring them with lots of ideas or just a few stereotyped responses. It's not valid, I said. I know what you're looking for. I know the kind of responses I'm supposed to have to create a certain picture of what my mind is like. All I've got to do is... He looked up at me, waiting. All I've got to do is... But then it hit me like a fist against the side of my head that I didn't remember what I had to do. It was as if I had been looking at the whole thing clearly on the blackboard of my mind. But when I turned to read it, part of it had been erased and the rest didn't make sense. At first, I refused to believe it. I went through the cards in a panic so fast that I was choking on my words. I wanted to tear the ink blots apart to make them reveal themselves. Somewhere in those ink blots, there were answers I had known just a little while ago. Not really in the ink blots, but in part of my mind that would give form and meaning to them and project my imprint on them. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't remember what I had to say. All missing. That's a woman. I said, on her knees washing the floors. I mean, no, it's a man holding a knife. And even as I said it, I knew what I was saying and I had switched away and started off in another direction. Two figures tugging at something, like a doll, and each one is pulling so it looks as if they're going to tear it apart. And no, 
I mean, it's two faces staring at each other through the window, and I swept the cards off the table and got up. No more tests. I don't want to take any more tests. All right, Charlie, we'll stop for today. Not just for today. I'm not coming back here anymore. Whatever there is left in me that you need, you can get it from the progress reports. I'm through running the maze. I'm not a guinea pig anymore. I've done enough. I want to be left alone now. All right, Charlie, I understand. No, you don't understand because it isn't happening to you and no one can understand but me. I don't blame you. You've got your job to do and your PhD to get. And, oh yes, don't tell me. I know you're in this largely out of love of humanity, but you've still got your life to live and we don't happen to belong on the same level. I passed your floor on the way up and now I'm passing it on the way down. And I don't think I'll be taking this elevator again. So let's just say goodbye here and now. Don't you think you should talk to Dr... Say goodbye to everyone for me, will you? I don't feel like facing any of them again. Before he could say any more to try to stop me, I was out of the lab, and I caught the elevator down out of Beekman for the last time. October 7th. Strauss tried to see me again this morning, but I wouldn't open the door. I want to be left to myself now. It's a strange sensation to pick up a book you read and enjoyed just a few months ago and discover you don't remember it. I recall how wonderful I thought Milton was. When I picked up Paradise Lost, I could only remember it was about Adam and Eve and the Tree of Knowledge, but now I couldn't make any sense of it. I stood up and closed my eyes and saw Charlie, myself, six or seven years old, sitting at the dinner table with a school book, learning to read, saying the words over and over with my mother sitting beside me, beside me. Try it again. See, Jack. See, Jack, run. See, Jack, see. No, no, no. Not see, Jack, see. It's run, Jack, run. Pointing with her rough, scrubbed finger. See, Jack. See, Jack, run. Jack, run. See? No, you're not trying. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Leave the boy alone. You've got him terrified. He's got to learn. He's too lazy to concentrate. Run, Jack, run. Run, Jack, run. Run, Jack, run. Run, Jack, run. He's slower than the other children. Give him time. He's normal. There's nothing wrong with him. Just lazy. I'll beat it into him until he learns. Run, Jack, run. Run, Jack, run. Run, Jack, run. Run, Jack, run. And then looking up from the table, it seems to me I saw myself through Charlie's eyes holding Paradise Lost, and I realized I was breaking the binding with the pressure of both hands as if I wanted to tear the book in half. I broke the back of it, ripped out a handful of pages, and flung them and the book across the room to the corner where the broken records were. I lay it there, I let it lay there, and its torn white tongues were laughing because I couldn't understand what they were saying. I've got to try to hold on to some of the things I've learned. Please, God, don't take it, don't take it all away. October 10. Usually at night, I go out for walks, wander around the city. I don't know why. To see faces, I guess. Last night, I couldn't remember where I lived. A policeman took me home. I have the strange feeling that this has all happened to me before. A long time ago. I don't want to write it down, but I keep reminding myself that I'm the only one in the world who can describe who can describe what happens when it goes this way. Instead of walking, I was floating through space, not clear and sharp, but with a gray film over everything. I know what's happening to me, but there is nothing I can do about it. I walk or just stand on the sidewalk and watch people go by. 
Some of them look at me and some of them don't, but nobody says anything to me, except one night a man came up and asked if I wanted a girl. He took me to a place. He wanted $10 first and I gave it to him, but he never came back. And then I remembered what a fool I was. October 11. When I came into my apartment this morning, I found Alice there asleep on the couch. Everything was cleaned up, and at first I thought I was in the wrong apartment, but then I saw she hadn't touched the smashed records or the torn books or the sheet music in the corner of the room. The floor creaked, and she woke up and looked at me. Hi, she laughed. Some night owl. Not an owl, more of a dodo, a dumb dodo. How'd you get in here? Through the fire escape. Base place. I called her to find out about you, and she said she was worried. She says you've been acting strangely, causing disturbances. So, I decided it was time for me to put in an appearance. I straightened up a bit. I I didn't think you'd mind. I do mind, very much. I don't want anybody coming around feeling sorry for me. She went to the mirror to comb her hair. I'm not here because I feel sorry for you. It's because I feel sorry for me. What's that supposed to mean? It doesn't mean... She shrugged. It's just like a poem. I I wanted to see you. What's wrong with the zoo? Oh, come off it, Charlie. Don't fence with me. I waited long enough for you to come and get me. I decided to come to you. Why? Because there's still time and I want to spend it with you. Is that a song? Charlie, don't laugh at me. I'm not laughing, but I can't afford to spend my time with anyone. There's only enough left for myself. I can't believe you want to be completely alone. I do. We had a little time together before we got out of touch. We had things to talk about and things to do together. It didn't last very long, but it was something. Look, we've known this might happen. It's no secret. I didn't go away, Charlie. I've just been waiting. You're about at my level again, aren't you? I stormed around the apartment. But that's crazy. There's nothing to look forward to. I don't dare let myself think ahead, only back. In a few months, weeks, days, who the hell knows? I'll go back to Warren. You can't follow me there. No, she admitted, and I probably won't even visit you there. Once you're in Warren, I'll do my best to forget you. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But until you go, there's no reason for either of us to be alone. Before I could say anything, she kissed me. I waited as she sat beside me on the couch, resting her head against my chest, but the panic didn't come. Alice was a woman, but perhaps now Charlie would understand that she wasn't his mother or his sister. With the relief of knowing I had passed through a crisis, I sighed because there was nothing to hold me back. It was no time for fear or pretense because it it was never this way with anyone else. All the barriers were gone. I had unwound the strings she had given me and found my way out of the labyrinth to where she was waiting. I loved her. I loved her with more than my body. I don't pretend to understand the mystery of love, but this time it was more than sex, more than using a woman's body. It was... It was being lifted off the earth out of fear and torment, being part of something greater than myself. I was lifted out of the dark cell of my own mind to become part of someone else, just as I had experienced it that day on the couch in therapy. It was the first step outward to the universe, beyond the universe, because in it and with it we merged to recreate and perpetuate the human spirit. Expanding and bursting outward and contracting and forming inward, it was the rhythm of being, of beating, of heartbeat, the day and the night, and the rhythm of our body set off an echo in my mind. 
It was the way it had been back there in that strange vision. The gray murk lifted from my mind and through it the light pierced into my brain. How strange that light should blind. And my body was absorbed back into a great sea of space washed under in a strange baptism. My body shuddered with given, giving and her body shuddered its acceptance. This was the way we loved until the night became a silent day, and as I lay there with her I could see how important physical love was, how necessary it was for us to be in each other's arms, giving and taking. The universe was exploding each particle away from the next, hurling us into dark and lonely space, eternally tearing us away from each other, child out of the womb, friend away from friend, moving from each other, each through his own pathway toward the goal box of solitary death. But this was the counterweight, the act of binding and holding, as when men, to keep from being swept overboard in the storm, clutch at each other's hands to resist being torn apart, so our bodies fused a link in the human chain that kept us from being swept into nothing. And in the moment before I fell into sleep, I remembered the way it had been between fate and myself, and I smiled. No wonder that had been easy. It had been only physical. This with Alice was a mystery. I leaned over and kissed her eyes. Alice knows everything about me now and accepts the fact that we can be together only for a short while. She has agreed to go away when I tell her to go. It's painful to think about that, but what we have, I suspect, is more than most people find in a lifetime. October 14. I wake up in the morning and don't know where I am or what I'm doing here, and then I see her beside me and I remember. She senses when, when something is happening to me, and she moves quietly around the apartment, making breakfast, cleaning up the place, or going out and leaving me to myself without any questions. We went to a concert this evening, but I got bored and we left in the middle. Can't seem to pay much attention anymore. I went because I know I used to like Stravinsky, but somehow I no longer have the patience for it. The only bad thing about having Alice here with me is that now I feel I should bite this thing. I want to stop time, freeze myself at this level, and never let her go. October 17. Why can't I remember? I've got to try to resist this slackness. Alice tells me I lie in bed for days and don't seem to know who or where I am. Then it all comes back and I recognize her and remember what's happening. Fugues of amnesia, symptoms of second childhood. What do they call it? Senility? I can watch it coming on. All so cruelly logical, the result of speeding up all the processes of the mind. I learned so much so fast, and now my mind is deteriorating rapidly. What if I won't let it happen? What if I fight it? Think of those people at Warren, the empty smiles, the blank expressions, everyone laughing at them. Little Charlie Gordon staring at me through the window, waiting. Please, not that again. October 18. I'm forgetting things I learned recently. It seems to be following the classic pattern. The last days learned are first things forgotten. Or is that the pattern? Better look it up again. Reread my paper on the Algernon Gordon effect, and even though I know I wrote it, I keep feeling it was written by someone else. Most of it I didn't even understand. But why am I so irritable, especially when Alice is so good to me? She keeps the place neat and clean, always putting my things away and washing dishes and scrubbing floors. I shouldn't have shouted at her the way I did this morning because it made her cry and I didn't want that to happen, but she shouldn't have picked up the broken records and the music and the book and put them all neatly into a box. That made me furious. I don't want anyone to touch any of those things. I want to see them piled up. I want to see, I want them to remind me of what I'm leaving behind. I kicked the box and scattered the stuff all over the floor and told her to leave them just where they were. 
Foolish. No reason for it. I guess I got sore because I knew she thought it was silly to keep those things, and she didn't tell me she thought it was silly. She just pretended it was perfectly normal. She's humoring me. And when I saw that box, I remembered the boy at the Warren house and the lousy lamp he made and the way we were all humoring him, pretending he had done something wonderful when he hadn't. That was part of what she was doing to me, and I couldn't stand it. When she went to the bathroom, I cried. I felt bad about it, and, and I told her it was all my fault. I don't deserve someone as good as her. Why can't I control myself and just enough to keep on, just enough to keep on loving her, just enough? October 19. Motor activity impaired. I was tripping and dropping things. At first, I didn't think it was me. I thought she was changing things around. The wastebasket was in my way and so were the chairs and I thought she had moved them. Now I realize my coordination is bad. I have to move slowly to get things right and it's increasingly difficult to type. Why do I keep blaming Alice and why doesn't she argue? That irritates me even more because I see the pity in her face. My only pleasure now is the TV set. I spent most of the day watching the quiz programs, the old movies, the soap operas, and even the kiddie shows and cartoons. And then I can't bring myself to turn it off. Late at night when there are old movies, the horror pictures, the late show, and the late late show, and even the little sermon before the channel signs off for the night, and the star-spangled banner with the flag waving in the background, and finally the channel test pattern that stares back at me through the little square window with its unclosing eye. Why am I always looking at life through a window? And after it's all over, I'm sick with myself because there is so little time left for me to read and write and think, because... And, and because I, I should know better than to drug my mind with this dishonest stuff that's aimed at the child in me, especially me because the child in me is reclaiming my mind. I know all this, but when Alice tells me I shouldn't waste my time, I get angry and tell her to leave me alone. I have a feeling I'm watching because it's important for me not to think, not to remember about the bakery and my mother and father and Norma. I don't want to remember any more of the past. I had a terrible shock today. Picked up a copy of an article I had used in my research, Kruger's Uber Psychic Gunsight, to see if it would help me understand the paper I wrote and what I had done in it. First I thought there was something wrong with my eyes. Then I realized I could no longer read German. Tested myself in other languages. All gone. October 21. Alice is gone. Let's see if I can remember. It started when she said we couldn't live like this with the torn books and papers and records all over the floor and the place in such a mess. Leave everything the way it is, I warned her. Why do you want to live this way? I want everything where I put it. I want to see it all out there. You don't know what it's like to have something happening inside you that you can't see and can't control and know it's all slipping through your fingers. You're right. I never said I could understand the things that were happening to you. Not when you became too intelligent for me and not now. But I'll tell you one thing. Before you had the operation, you weren't like this. You didn't wallow in your own filth and self-pity. You didn't pollute your own mind by sitting in front of the TV set all day and night. And you didn't snarl and snap at people. There was something about you that made us respect you. Yes, even as you were. You had something I had never seen in a retarded person before. I don't regret the experiment. Neither do I. But you've lost something you had before. You had a smile. An empty, stupid smile. No, a warm, real smile because you wanted people to like you. And they played tricks on me and laughed at me. Yes, but even though you didn't understand why they were laughing, you sensed that if they could laugh at you, they would like you. 
and you wanted them to like you. You acted like a child and you even laughed at yourself along with them. I don't feel like laughing at myself right now, if you don't mind. She was trying to keep from crying. I think I wanted to make her cry. Maybe that's why she was, maybe that's why it was so important for me to learn. I thought it would make people like me. I thought I would have friends. That's something to laugh at, isn't it? There's more to it than just, than just having a high IQ. That made me angry, probably because I, I really didn't understand what she was driving at. More and more these days, she didn't come right out and say what she meant. She hinted at things. She talked around them and expected me to know what she was thinking. And I listened, pretending I understood. But inside, I was afraid she would see that I missed the point entirely. I think it's time for you to leave. Her face turned red. Not yet, Charlie. It's not time yet. Don't send me away. You're making it harder for me. You keep pretending I can do things and understand things that, that are far beyond me now. You, you're pushing me, just like my mother. That's not true. Everything you do says it. The way you picked up and, and, and cleaned up after me. The way you leave books around that you think will get me interested in reading again. The, the way you talk to me about the news to get me thinking. You say it doesn't matter, but everything you do shows how much it matters. Always the school teacher. I don't want to go to the concerts or museums or foreign films or do anything that's going to make me struggle to think about my life or about myself. Charlie, just leave me alone. I'm not myself. I'm falling apart and I don't want you here. That made her cry. This afternoon, she packed her bags and left. The apartment feels quite empty now. October 25. Deterioration. Progressing. I've given up using the typewriter. Coordination is too bad. From now on, I'll have to write out these portions in longhand. I thought a lot about things, Alice said, and then it hit me that I kept on reading and learning new things, even while I was forgetting the old ones. I would be able to keep some of my intelligence. I was on a down escalator now. If I stood still, I'd go all the way to the bottom. But if I started to run up, maybe I could at least stay in the same place. The important thing was to keep moving upward no matter what happened. So I went to the library and got a lot of books to read. I've been reading a lot now. Most of the books are too hard for me, but I don't care. As long as I keep reading, I'll learn new things and I won't forget how to read. That's the most important thing. If I keep reading, maybe I can hold my own. Dr. Strauss came around the day after Alice left, so I guess she told them about me. He pretended all he wanted was the progress reports, but I told him I would send them. I didn't want him coming around here. I told him he doesn't have to be worried about me because when I think I won't be able to take care of myself anymore, I'll get on the train and go to Warren. I told him I'd rather just go by myself when the time comes. I tried to talk to Faye, but I can see she's afraid of me. I guess the figures, I guess she figures I've gone out of my mind. Last night she came home with somebody. He looked very young. This morning, the landlady, Mrs. Mooney, came up with a bowl of hot chicken soup and some chicken. She said she just thought she should look in on me to see if I was doing all right. I told her I had lots of food to eat, but she left it anyway, and it was good. She pretended she was doing it on her own, but I'm not, but I'm not that stupid yet. Alice or Strauss must have told her to go look in on me and make sure I was all right. Well, that's okay. She's a nice old lady with an Irish accent, and she likes to talk about all the people in the building. When she saw the mess on the, on the floor inside my apartment, she didn't say anything about it. I guess she's all right. November 1. A week since I dare to write again. I don't know where the time goes. 
Today's Sunday, I know because I can see through my window the people going into the church across the street. I think I laid in bed all week, but I remember Mrs. Mooney bringing me food a few times and asking if I was sick. What am I going to do with myself? I can't just hang around here all alone and look out the window. I've got to get a hold of myself. I keep saying over and over that I've got to do something, but then I forget, or maybe it's just easier not to do what I say I'm going to do. I still have some books from the library, but a lot of them are too hard for me. I read a lot of mystery stories now and books about kings and queens from old times. I read a book about a man who thought he was a knight and went out on an old horse with his friend. But no matter what he did, he always ended up getting beaten and hurt, like when he thought the windmills were dragons. At first I thought it was a silly book because if he wasn't crazy, he could see the windmills weren't dragons and there's no such thing as sorcerers and enchanted castles. But then I remembered that there was something else it was all supposed to mean, something the story didn't say but only hinted at, like there was another meaning. But I don't know what. That made me angry because I think I used to know. But I'm keeping up with my reading and learning new things every day and I know it's going to help me. I know I should have written some progress reports before this so they will know what's happening to me. But writing is harder. I have to look up even simple words in the dictionary now and it makes me angry with myself. November 2. I forgot to write in yesterday's report about the woman from the building across the alley one floor down. I saw her through my kitchen window last week. I don't know her name or even what her top part looks like, but every night about 11 o'clock she goes into her bathroom to take a bath. She never pulls her shade down, and through my window, when I put out my lights, I can see her from the neck down when she comes out of the bath to dry herself. It makes me excited, but when the lady turns out the light, I feel let down and lonely. I wish I could see what she looks like sometimes, whether she's pretty or what. I know it's not nice to watch a woman when, she, when she's like that, but I can't help it. Anyway, what difference does it make to her if she doesn't know I'm watching? It's nearly 11 o'clock now, time for her bath, so I'd better go see. November 5. Mrs. Mooney is very worried about me. She says the way I lay around all day and don't do anything, I, I remind her of her son before she threw him out of the house. She said she don't like loafers. If I'm sick, it's one thing, but if I'm a loafer, that's another thing and she has no use for me. I, I told her I think I'm sick. I try to read a little bit every day, mostly stories about sometimes I... Every day, mostly stories, but sometimes I have to read the same thing over and over again because I don't know what it means, and it's hard to write. I know I should look up all the words in the dictionary, but I'm so tired all the time. Then I got the idea that I would use only the easy words instead of the long, hard ones. That saves time. It's getting chilly out, but I still put flowers on Algernon's grave. Mrs. Mooney thinks I'm silly to put flowers on a mouse's grave, but I told her that Algernon was a special mouse. I went over to visit Faye across the hall, but she told me to go away and not come back. She put a new lock on her door. November 9. Sunday again. I don't have anything to do to keep me busy now because the TV is broke and I keep forgetting to get it fixed. I think I lost this month's check from the college. I, I don't remember. I get awful headaches and aspirin doesn't help much. Mrs. Mooney believes that now I'm really sick and she feels very sorry for me. She's a wonderful woman whenever someone is sick. It's getting so cold out now that I've got to wear two sweaters. The lady across the way pulls down her window shade now so I can't watch her anymore. My lousy luck. November 10. Mrs. Mooney called a strange doctor to see me. She was afraid I was going to die. 
I told her the doctor, I told the doctor I wasn't sick and that I only forget sometimes. He asked me, did I have any friends or relatives? And I said, no, I don't have any. I told him I had a friend called Algernon once, but he was a mouse and we used to run races together. He looked at me kind of funny, like he thought I was crazy. He smiled when I told him I used to be a genius. He talked to me like I was a baby and he winked at Mrs. Mooney. I got mad because he was making fun of me and laughing and I chased him out and locked the door. I think I know why I've been having bad luck because I lost my rabbit's foot and my horseshoe. I got to get another rabbit's foot fast. November 11. Dr. Strauss came to the door today and Alice too, but I didn't let them in. I told them I didn't want anyone to see me. I want to be left alone. Later, Mrs. Mooney came up with some food and she told me that they paid the rent and left money for her to buy food and anything I need. I told her I don't want to use their money anymore. She said, money's money and someone has to pay or I have to put you out. Then she said, why don't I get some job instead of just hanging around? I don't know any work but the job I used to do at the bakery. I don't want to go back there because they all because they all knew me when I was smart and maybe they'll laugh at me. But I don't know what else to do to get money and I want to pay for everything myself. I am strong and I can work. If I can take care of myself, I'll, I'll go to Warren. I won't take charity from anybody. November 15. I was looking at some of my old progress reports and it's very strange but I can't read what I wrote. I can make out some of the words but they don't make sense. I think I wrote them but I don't remember so good. I get tired very fast when I try to read some of the books I brought in the bookstore except the ones with the pictures of the pretty girls. I like to look at them but I have funny dreams about them. It's not nice. I won't buy them anymore. I saw in one of the books they got magic powder that can make you strong and smart and do lots of things. I think maybe I'll send away and buy some for myself. November 16. Alice came to the door again, but I said, go away. I don't want to see you. She cried and I cried too, but I wouldn't let her in because I didn't want her to laugh at me. I told her I didn't like her anymore and I didn't want to be smart anymore either that's not true. I still love her and I want to be smart, but I had to say that so she would go away. Mrs. Mooney told me Alice brought some more money to look after me and for the rent. I don't want that. I got to get a job. Please, please don't let me forget how to read and write. November 18. Mr. Donner was was very nice when I came back and asked him for my old job at the bakery. First, he was very suspicious, but I told him what happened to me, and then he looked very sad and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Charlie, you got guts. Everybody looked at me when I came downstairs and started working in the toilet, sweeping it out like I used to do. I said to myself, Charlie, if they make fun of you, don't get sore because you remember they're not so smart like you once thought they were. And besides, they were once your friends, and, they, and if they laughed at you, that don't mean anything because they liked you too. One of the new men who came to work there after I went home, his name is Meyer Klaus, did a bad thing to me. He came up to me when I was loading the sacks of flour, and he said, Hey, Charlie, I hear you're a very smart fella, a real, kid, a, a real quiz kid. Say something intelligent. I felt bad because I could tell by the way he said it, he was making fun of me. So I kept on with my work. But then he came over and grabbed me by the arm real hard and shouted at me. When I talk to you, boy, you better listen to me or I could break your arm for you. He twisted my arm so it hurt and I got scared. He was going to break it like he said. 
and he was laughing and twisting it, and I didn't know what to do. I got afraid. I felt like I was going to cry, but I didn't. I, I didn't. And then I had to go to the bathroom, something awful. My stomach was all twisting inside like I was going to bust open if I didn't go right away because I couldn't hold it back. I told him, please let me go because I need to go to the toilet. But he was just laughing at me, and I didn't know what to do. So I started crying. Let me go. Let me go. And then I made I went in my pants and it smelled bad and I was crying. He let go of me then and made a sick face and he looked scared then. He said, for God's sake, I didn't mean anything, Charlie. But then Joe Cart came in and grabbed Klaus by the shirt and said, leave him alone, you lousy bastard, or I'll break your neck. Charlie is a good guy and nobody's going to start up with him without answering for it. I felt ashamed and I ran to the toilet to clean myself and change my clothes. When I got back, Frank was there, too, and Joe was telling him about it, and Gimpy came in, and they told him about it, and they said they'd get rid of Klaus. They were going to tell Mr. Donner to fire him. I told him I didn't think he should be fired and have to find another job because he had a wife and a kid, and besides, he said he was sorry for what he did to me, and I remember how sad I was when I had to get fired from the bakery and go away. I said, Klaus shot I said Klaus should get a second chance because now he wouldn't do anything bad to me anymore. Later, Gimpy came over limping on his bad foot and said, Charlie, if anyone bothers you or tries to make or tries to take advantage of you, call Joe or Frank or me and, and we'll set up and we'll set him straight. We all want you to remember that you got friends here and don't you ever forget it. I said, Thanks, Gimpy. That made me feel good. It's good to have friends. November 21. I did a dumb thing today. I forgot I wasn't in Miss Kinian's class at the adult center anymore like I used to be. I went in and sat down in my old seat in the back of the room and she looked at me funny and she said, Charlie, where have you been? So I said, hello, Miss Kinian. I'm ready for my lesson today, only I lost the book we was using. She started to cry and run out of the room and everybody looked at me and I saw a lot of them wasn't the same people who used to be in my class. Then all of a sudden I remembered some things about the operation and me getting smart and I said, holy smoke, I I really pulled a Charlie Gordon that time. I went away before she came back to the room. That's why I'm going away from here for good to the Warren Home School. I don't want to do anything like that again. I don't want Miss Kinian to feel sorry for me. I know everybody feels sorry for me at the bakery, and I don't want that either, so I'm going someplace where there are a lot of other people like me, and nobody cares that Charlie Gordon was once a genius, and now he can't even read a book or read good. I'm taking a couple of books along, and even if I can't read them, I'll practice hard, and maybe I'll even get a little bit smarter then than I was before the operation without an operation. I got a new rabbit's foot and a lucky penny and even a little bit of that magic powder left and and maybe they will help me. If you ever read this, Miss Kenyon, don't be sorry for me. I'm glad I got a second chance in life, like you said, to be smart because I learned a lot of things that I never even knew were in this world and I'm grateful I saw it even for a little bit. And I'm glad I found out all about my family and me. It was like I never had a family till I remembered them and saw them, and now I know I had a family and I was a person just like everyone. I don't know why I'm dumb again or what I did wrong. Maybe it's because I didn't try hard enough or just somebody put the evil eye on me, but I try and practice very hard. Maybe I'll get a little smarter and know what all the words are. I remember a little bit now. 
pardon me, (laughs) I remember a little bit how nice I had a feeling with the blue book that I read with the torn cover. And when I close my eyes, I think about the man who tore the book and he looks like he only looks different and he talks different, but I don't think it's me because it's like I see him from the window. Anyway, that's why I'm going to keep trying to get smart so I can have that feeling again. It's good to know things and be smart, and I wish I knew everything in the whole world. I wish I could be smarter again right now. If I could, I would sit down and read all the time. Anyway, I bet I'm the first dumb person in the world who found out something important for science. I did something, but I don't remember what. So I guess it's like I did it all for the dumb people like me and Warren and all over the world. Goodbye, Miss Kinian and Dr. Strauss and everybody. P.S. Please tell Professor Niemer not to be such a grouch when people laugh at him and he would have more friends. It's easy to have friends if you let people laugh at you. I'm going to have lots of friends where I go. P.S. Please, if you get a chance, put some flowers on Algernon's grave in the backyard. Wow. (laughs) And that will do it for Daniel Key's Flowers for Algernon. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. This one makes me a bit teary. Such, such a good book. Thanks again for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. Until next time. Oh, and before I sign off here, let me ask you to please remember to rate this podcast. Thanks again. Until next time.